would you pray with me? Uh, Heavenly Father, um, I thank you for this day. Um, even though we are gathering in different spots all over the place, I ask that uh, your spirit just comes down on us and you give me the words to speak today um, and you allow my words to move in people in the way you need them to today as well. Uh, we ask this all in your name. Amen. I want to start off today by asking you guys a question. Uh, how many of you growing up, maybe for you this is a long time ago, maybe this was just recently, but how many of you have had a youth pastor that has, when you look back on the things they've done, you think, was my youth pastor trying to kill me? Was that the intent of their, their being, right? I think to games that I played when I was in youth group, to like the, the cinnamon challenge, how many of you have played that before, right? Yeah, it's where you take a big spoonful of cinnamon and the goal is to put that in your mouth and swallow it. And that seems like it won't really be that hard. It's just cinnamon. We've all had cinnamon before, right? That doesn't seem like it's impossible. And you put it in your mouth. And what I didn't realize about cinnamon is that it really dries out your mouth. And as you try to swallow it, it dries out your throat and dries everything out. And you can't swallow anymore. And there comes a point where you just cough up this big brown puff of cinnamon into the atmosphere for everyone around you to smell, right? It's, it's this instance where the cinnamon can no longer be contained inside of your mouth anymore. Same thing with Chubby Bunny, right? Chubby Bunny, where you grab marshmallows, and it's a game to see who, how, who can fit the most amount of marshmallows into their mouth. Well, it's, it's a challenge, and it's a competition, so of course you just keep pushing marshmallows into your mouth, well, there comes a point where you're just slowly pushing them down your throat, and then you start choking, and depending how competitive you are, you let the choking happen because you need to win, right? But there comes a point where you can't contain those marshmallows anymore. And even I remember the gallon challenge where we try and drink a whole gallon of milk not knowing that the human body actually can't consume a whole gallon of milk. There comes a point where that gallon cannot stay in your body anymore. I'm going to let your imaginations wander on that. Uh, there, there comes a moment for all of those games where that, those food that, that cannot be contained inside of you anymore. Um, and my favorite example that I watched this week um, is, actually, I'll just let the video do the explaining on this. I watched that video over and over again this week. I've loved it. There, there's that moment where she was going to try and contain that Coke in the bottle, and it could not be contained anymore, right? It's those ideas and that concept that there are things that we can't contain inside of us for very long, right? And I want to tell you a story today about a moment in the life of the disciples where they could no longer contain what they had. They couldn't contain the information that they had. But first, let's look at the beginning of the story. Um, and this story we're going to start on uh, so far, Jesus has been crucified right before this story takes place. So Jesus has been crucified, and the disciples have kind of scattered a little bit. They kind of go into hiding together because they're worried about 
what's just happened. Jesus Christ, their leader, their, the one they were following, has just been killed. And you can imagine the thoughts that are running around in their head thinking, well, if our leader was killed and we're doing some of the, th- the things that he's doing, are we next, right? They go into hiding. They don't know what to do next. And after Jesus is resurrected, Jesus appears to these disciples and they're so excited because all of the things that Jesus had told them about his death and his resurrection were true. All of those things had come true and they were right in front of their eyes. They could see those things. And you can imagine that all they wanted to do was go out and tell people about it. But Jesus told them to wait. And we pick this story up in Acts 1. Um, And he says this, um, being Jesus. On one occasion, while he was eating, so that he is Jesus in this, while he was eating, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days I will baptize with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? And what they're asking here is they're still, if you know anything about the Jewish culture around what they're dealing with right now, Rome is kind of oppressing the Jews. So they're asking, hey, are you going to fix this? I know you rose from the dead and I know you died for our sins, but are you going to fix this? And Jesus, Jesus answered, he said to them, It is not for you to know the times or the dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. So what we find is at this point, the disciples do as they're told. They kind of, they, they're told to wait and they go and wait. They go in this upper room where they hang out together and wait for the next thing to happen. Um, and we'll continue that story, but let's pause here a minute because what they're kind of left to sit with is kind of hard to think about because Jesus told them that in just a bit you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem to Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Now, we might just kind of browse over those places and think, yeah, there's different locations that they're supposed to be going once Jesus gives them this gift. But there's a lot of significance behind all of these places. Jerusalem, that Jesus mentions first, is the place where Jesus was literally handed over to trial to be crucified. This is where the people shouted, crucify him, crucify him. And Jesus wants the disciples to go back there. Right? He also says, go to Judea. And Judea is where those people all rejected the ministry of Jesus. They didn't like him in Judea. And yet Jesus is still saying, go to Judea. He continues and says, go to Samaria. And Samaritans were not liked by anyone in the world. They, they were people that no one wanted to go see. Some of you may remember the story earlier about uh, the Samaritan that was kind of beaten and left for dead on the road and everyone went on the other side and nobody likes Samaria no one likes Samaritans and Jesus calls them to not only go there but to the ends of the earth as well see 
we see that the disciples have followed Jesus for years. It looks like they've kind of been given everything that Jesus, their mentor, can give them, but yet they are told to wait. Right? They're told to wait. Jesus told them that there is a gift that's coming that they need to wait for. I want to look at one disciple a little bit closer and kind of look at what their lives looked like before this gift, gift arrives and then what he does with it after. So we're going to take a closer look at the disciple Peter. Um, and this first passage we're going to look at is coming out of Matthew 16. And this, this passage is about a week before Jesus is put on trial, before he is crucified. Um, and it says this, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? So Jesus, at this point, has just spent years with his disciples, and it's kind of getting to the end where it's like, I need you to know this final point before I leave, right? I need you to know this. Who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. It's almost like they're trying to find which right answer are we going with by what Jesus is looking back at us, right? But what about you, Jesus asked, who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, so Peter, the one we're looking at, Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you lose on earth will be loosed in heaven." Then he ordered his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. So you can almost sense a little bit of the same thing happening in both these passages. Jesus is giving them what they need, but they're not quite ready yet. He's telling them to wait for this gift that is coming. And about a week after this story happens, the story in Matthew 16, Jesus actually rebukes Peter. And it seems like Peter's done something wrong because Jesus explains that there's going to come a time very shortly where I'm going to be beaten, I'm going to be tortured and handed over to be crucified. And Peter kind of kind of rebukes Jesus. And you're really not supposed to rebuke Jesus and say, Jesus, no, I'm not going to let that happen. I would never let that happen. I'll stand in the way of that. But Jesus knows that those things need to happen to fulfill the prophecy of sins being paid for. See, Jesus explains, get behind me, Satan, when Peter rebukes him. You are a stumbling block for me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. So what you can see is that Peter knows the right things, right? It seems like he's been given all the right things, and yet he doesn't know what to do with them. He doesn't quite know how to act in those things yet. See, even after that, he... Uh, right before Jesus was handed over, Jesus goes up with the disciples to the Garden of Gethsemane and he asks them to pray for me. And Jesus goes up farther and all of the disciples, including Peter, kind of just fall asleep. And they do this numerous times through the night and Jesus kind of just needs them to pray for him in this season. 
See, a few, uh, about a week later after, or no, a few days later after Jesus was handed over, Peter was asked, do you, do you know this man who's on trial? Do you know this man who's being beaten? And Peter completely denies Jesus, right? Peter seems to know all of this stuff, but he doesn't seem to know what to actually do with any of these things. But then, just like Jesus had promised, this gift came. And we're going to be reading that out of Acts 2. Um, It says this, When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. So, We're continuing the story that we read right in the beginning where after Jesus said to go wait, they went back into this upper room and were waiting for him. And that's where this story picks back up. Suddenly, a sound like a blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now, they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. Let's hang on here a minute. How, how many of you have been to a foreign country where English is not really spoken there at all? Yeah, some of you have been there. Well, picture walking through like the village or the market, and um, I, I specifically went to Costa Rica back in eighth grade, um, and Spanish is the main language that's spoken there, and I didn't know much of Spanish at all. I figured out pretty quickly that alto meant stop, because that's what was on a stop sign. I'm like, oh, I can distinguish those, but that's, that's about as much as I knew. But there'd be instances when you're going through the market where all of a sudden I would hear English, and I'd be drawn to that like, oh, they they speak the tongue that I know. I can recognize those words. So think about this. When this story is taking place, it's taking place in Pentecost, and Jews from all Aryan nations would come to celebrate this festival together. And there'd be just tons of different languages that are spoke. So what's happening is all of these Jews are gathered together, and this is where our uh, story continues. Um, When they heard this sound, so the speaking in different tongues, when they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all of those who are speaking Galileans? Right, they're looking at the disciples thinking, but they're all Galileans. How would they know our voice? How would they know our language? How is it that each of us hears them in our own native language? Parthenians, Medeas, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phyria, Phili- Ph- oh, I'm getting, I was doing so good on all these places, Philimia, Egypt, and parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both the Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongue. You can just imagine all of these people gathered for this festival and all of a sudden hearing their native tongue being preached by the disciples. Amazed and perplexed, they looked at one another and said, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, they've had too much wine. Right? Oh, they're not actually speaking our tongue. We're just hearing things. They've had too much wine. And I love what Peter's response is to this 
and I think it shows some of the humor that's in the Bible, is that Peter explained that these men are not drunk. We're not drunk. It is only nine in the morning. Morning, And he stops explaining and continues after that. See, right after this, where people are starting to gather around and hearing their native tongue being spoken by the disciples, after they're all gathered around, Peter comes up and preaches kind of the sermon of a lifetime to all of these people. And he starts out by saying these words from the prophet Joel. It says this, In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So this, this big sermon that Peter is doing right in this time continues and it continues to explain. Uh, it kind of does what we even do here on a Sunday morning where we look at the Old Testament and see how Jesus fulfilled those things. Peter is doing this very thing, right? He's looking at the prophet Joel. Joel said this, and this is how Jesus fulfilled those things. He does it later where he says what David had said before and how Jesus fulfilled those things. And people from all Aryan nations are hearing all of these words in their own tongue. See, Peter, after he was given the gift of the Holy Spirit, is a transformed man. Right, He now, through the Holy Spirit, has brought 3,000 on that day after that sermon, 3,000 people to know and accept who Jesus Christ is. See, he's a man who saved 3,000 people, but just a few weeks earlier denied even knowing Jesus. Right, There is a huge difference in that man's life, and we can account that to the Holy Spirit. It was the Holy Spirit who was able to work through Peter and what he did. See, Peter trusted Jesus in the Holy Spirit. And the other disciples trusted what Jesus and the Holy Spirit were saying. And they went out into the world and did incredible things. But they had to wait first. Because they didn't have that gift. They couldn't do it on their own. They had to wait for the Holy Spirit to arrive inside of them. And when they received it, that's when they sprang into action, right? That's when they said, it's go time. We can do this now. So there, a few uh, weeks after this event, there came a time where they, Peter and John were walking together and they came across a lame man. Um, he couldn't walk and they healed him through the power of the Holy Spirit and multitudes were, who were around that time saw this miracle happen. They saw this man who couldn't walk was all of a sudden walking and they were asking questions. How did this happen? What did you do? And it says that over 5,000 men were brought to Jesus because of that miracle that happened. See, not only that, but Peter continues to go spread the word of Jesus Christ and the power of the gospel through the Aryan nations. He goes through what is kind of now Europe and goes through some of those spreading the good news of Jesus Christ. He was bringing the gospel to the ends of the earth. He was doing what Jesus was asking him to do. 
but he just had to wait for the gift. But when he had the gift, he couldn't contain that anymore. Kind of similarly to the Coke and the Mentos, right? There was a moment where he could not contain the information that he had anymore. See, if I'm honest with myself, um, sometimes it still feels like I'm waiting for that gift. Maybe you're in that same boat with me too. Sometimes it feels like I'm waiting for that gift where, where I feel like I have the information. Maybe I have the Coke and the Mentos. I have these things. But sometimes I'm anxious about not knowing how to use them. Right? I don't sometimes feel like I have enough knowledge or enough theological background to drop this mento into the Coke, to let that kind of that explosion, right, that idea that the Holy Spirit is working through me. See, how many of us are still waiting for that gift even though we know that we have that gift with us right now? Because we do have it. We the Holy Spirit is living inside of us if we've asked Jesus Christ to be in, in our hearts, if we've asked him to forgive us of our sins. The, see, the disciples waited for the gift. Right? They were told to wait for the gift. The Holy Spirit hadn't arrived there yet, but once they got it, see, nothing could stop them. See, how many of you have had a neighbor come up to you and say, hey, what are you doing this weekend? And he can just picture the mental being right above the Coke, right? And you think, oh, I could tell him that I'm going to be going to church this weekend or maybe for you, I, I am now watching church online. And you're thinking, what if I invite them over and we could sit outside and watch church together right now? But you think, you take it away and say, think, I, I just don't know if I'm ready to do that. I don't know if I have the knowledge. So you're maybe... You've had a friend just pour out their heart to you and say, I don't have anything left inside. I feel alone. I don't know who to turn to. And you think, oh, the answer is Jesus, right? It's Jesus who's missing. And you're wondering if, well, if they start asking questions, I don't know how to answer them. So I'm just going to pull back and be a shoulder to cry on and not give them any answer, right? How many of you have told yourself you just are worried about those answers? Or how many of you have been walking through somewhere, whether it's the grocery store or the hardware store, and a face down the aisle pops into your mind as you're walking past and you think, what, what, what's that about? And all of a sudden you think, well, am I supposed to tell them about Jesus? But you think, am I equipped to, t- I don't know this person, what if it gets uncomfortable? What if I'm denied? What if they say, what are you no, I don't want to know about Jesus, right? What if we're taking that moment away and not allowing the Holy Spirit to work in our lives? See, you let the fears, and I'm right in this same boat. This message has worked on me too. We let these fears and these anxieties take the power away from the Holy Spirit from saying, oh, if you just drop it in, you have no idea how you will not be able to contain what I have anymore, Right? We looked at the life of Peter. Right? We saw the mistakes he's made. We saw that he was equipped with some things, but we saw that even the week before Jesus died, he did some things that straight up denying Jesus. Right? We saw that he lived that lifestyle, but when he was filled with the Holy Spirit, right, he could not be contained anymore. And thousands of people came to know Jesus Christ. 
Right? What does it look like in our lives to let that mental drop? See, what does it look like for us to let that happen? And you may be thinking at home, like, Matt, just drop the mental in. Right? I want to see that combustion. I want to see that Coke bottle not be able to contain that anymore. I think we all have that gut instinct, right? We want to see where this bottle cannot contain what's happening in there anymore. And I think about how God looks down on our lives and the opportunities that come up on our lives, and he's thinking, you have it. You have the gift. You have all of the things that are necessary. You've asked Jesus Christ into your heart. You have the Holy Spirit equipping you. Just drop it in. It's right there. I'm giving you what you need. It's all in front of you. We don't need to wait for the Holy Spirit anymore. He is right there inside of us. If you've given your life to Jesus Christ, you have the Holy Spirit. You have that potential of that combustion of not being able to contain what you have to hold anymore. So if your neighbor comes across you, if, if a coworker comes up to you, if someone down the aisle, if something comes into your minds, you have the ability, you have the power to say what you need to because the Holy Spirit is working in you. It's not of our own works. It's not of our own actions. I cannot on my own do the things that I'm doing, but it's the Holy Spirit who does those things through us. See, the disciples had to wait for the gift. The disciples were told to wait by Jesus, but we, we don't have to wait for that gift anymore. It's here for us. See, I love the lyrics of this song, um, and they'll know we are Christians by our love, by our love. I hope some of you started singing with me, right? It's that song, I know we are Christians by our love. And that is so true because when we drop that in, there, it is going to show there's going to be nothing that can contain that love that we have inside of us anymore, whether it's love or other characteristics of Jesus. We can't contain those things when we allow the Holy Spirit to work inside of our lives. So the question remains, are you going to allow the Spirit to be your strength and work through your life in ways that you can't imagine? And I know that's something that I've been wrestling too through this on what does that even look like in this world that we're living in now? How can I bring the good news about Jesus Christ? How can I allow the Holy Spirit to work inside of me in a place where we're not even really allowed to be next to people? right? Be creative. Go on walks with people. What does it look like to, when you're talking with your coworkers to say, you know, I went to church this weekend and I heard this. What do you think about that? Allow the Holy Spirit to give you the words to speak. And don't hear me saying up here that it's super easy. It doesn't take much. Just start speaking it. Like, allow the Holy Spirit to give you the words to speak in areas where you may not even think you can do it. So that's the question I wanted to leave you guys today with. Are you going to allow the Spirit to give you that strength to start working through your lives? Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I thank you for this day and I thank you for the word and the way you worked through Peter even though he had a ton of faults and was not... uh, 
really, he actually denied you a lot of times, and we ask that even though we may be in a very similar spot as Peter, that you allow the Holy Spirit to work through our lives so that we, when we see people around us that need to hear who you are, that we're not afraid to allow the Holy Spirit to do that through us. We ask that in the coming weeks that we give the Holy Spirit the grace to do what it needs to in our lives to bring new people to you. In your name we pray. Amen. At this time, would you please join us in singing? Amen. There is such an art of celebration, right? And we talked about today when Peter was giving that first sermon after the Holy Spirit came down on him, he was saying that art of celebration. He was saying these words to them. He said out of verse 36, Therefore, let all of Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. And when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said, said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what should we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive this gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. See, that's the art of celebration. We, we have that gift. We have the Holy Spirit inside of us. But what are we going to do with it? Are we going to go to our neighbors? Are we going to go to our coworkers and allow the Holy Spirit to work through our life? The choice is ours, church. What, what are we going to do? Are we going to wait? Or are we going to push forward knowing the Holy Spirit has our back? Go with that this week. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. And may the Lord turn his face towards you and give you his peace. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, have a great week, church.